Moms, we love you. Happy Mother's Day. We are so glad that you are here with us today. For those of you who might be visiting for Mother's Day, welcome. I'm Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are grateful that you are here. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ruth chapter one in our Mother's Day Bible study time today. For those of you who are joining us online, happy Mother's Day. Thanks for hanging out with us wherever you might be. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ruth chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. All the scripture we use today will be on the screen so you can follow along and watch that way. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago that made me think of Mother's Day. As a matter of fact, when I heard it, I thought, I've got to tell our people that on Mother's Day. I was listening to a podcast by the founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, a guy by the name of Hortz Schultz. He's from Germany. Uh, And he was on a leadership podcast just talking about customer service and how to basically serve people well. And the person who was leading the podcast asked him this question. It was a great question. How do you charge so much more than everyone else but keep people coming back? I mean, they could go to any hotels they wanted. Yours are so much more expensive than everyone else's, but they keep coming back to your hotel. What is it that you hotel does differently. And he said, the industry standard of hotels is to help people feel like they are at home when they are with you. He said, when you go to conferences, that's what everyone's aim is. Make people feel like when they are at your hotel, that they are at home. He said, our research tells us that's not what people want when they stay at a hotel. Our research tells us people don't want to feel like they're at home when they're in a hotel. They want to feel like they're at their mother's home when they're in a hotel. They want to feel like when they get up in the morning, someone will be there to take, take care of them. They want to feel like when they leave for the day, someone will pick up after them. They want to feel like someone is kind of waiting at attention to meet all of their needs. So he said, what has allowed us to be in the luxury hotel business for the last 36 years more than everyone else is we have created a place where people feel like they are staying at their mother's when they stay with us so they keep coming back. Mothers, because of the way you have taken care of us. Grandmothers, because of the way you wait on us. Thank you and happy Mother's Day. Our goal today is to flip the script just a little bit and maybe provide some value for you in your life, in our church service with a good meal, with a good dinner, with maybe a friendly card. It will not be enough, but we want you to know that we love you today. Today, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. We're in a series at our church called Address the Mess. And we have for the past two weeks, and we will for the next two weeks, try to uncover some things in the lives of people that are holding them back spiritually. That's the whole kind of topic of this series is that if you don't address some of the things in your life that are holding you back spiritually, you will not be able to move forward with with Jesus. If you do 99 things right, but you have one big enough mess in your life, it'll just kind of keep you in quicksand spiritually. So we've been trying to address some of those. And today's goal is to address this. Here's today's goal really simple. We want to try to learn how to move from bitterness to blessing as a church today. That's the goal in our study in the book of Ruth. We want to try to move from bitterness to blessing. We want to address the mess of maybe bitterness that is living in your heart. It's not our key text today, but in Hebrews chapter 12, New Testament scripture, the author of Hebrews says this, if you're trying to move forward spiritually, he said, do this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let me ask you a question today. Is it possible that one of your spiritual messes is some bitterness 
that's living in your heart. Maybe it's just a seed of bitterness. Maybe it is a root of bitterness. Maybe it's a full-grown tree or it's an entire sanctuary of bitterness trees. Is it possible that maybe you're being held back spiritually, emotionally, relationally, even physically in your employment because you're struggling with bitterness because that is the case today of a mother in the book of Ruth named Naomi. Naomi, I think, represents almost every type of mother that can be represented. Naomi was a mom. Naomi was, we see her in this book as a mother-in-law. Naomi was a mom who was married, and then she was a single mother for a time. She was a single mother that struggled desperately. Naomi, at one point, became a widow um, and was a mother whose husband wasn't there anymore. Naomi, at one point, was an immigrant wife and mother who struggled to fit into society. I think Naomi is every type of mother, but a divorced mother. She could, re- she could relate to all of you, and even in her bitterness and single parenting, I think maybe she could relate to some single moms who are struggling struggling to move past hurt and pain from their past. And by journeying with Naomi today through the book of Ruth, we're going to try to learn how to move from bitterness to blessing. Now, I want to start here before we go any further. For some people, just the holiday of Mother's Day is a bitter day. Uh, I've spent my morning this morning. We started with our pastoral team praying for as many people as, as we could remember off the top of our heads who've lost a mother between last Mother's Day and this Mother's Day. I've spent my morning texting everyone that I know personally who's lost a mother in the past 12 months to just let them know, hey, I know this Mother's Day is gonna be the hardest one of your life and I want you to know we're praying for you. We know what you're going through and we love you. And for some of you, that's your story. This is a hard day. Maybe it's been a hard day since your mom passed years ago. We know there are people in our church who are estranged from their mothers and there are mothers right now who are not getting along with their children very well. And Mother's Day 2019 is a little bitter in their soul because of what's going on. And we know that there are women in our church who want more than anything to become a mother. It's just not worked out that way yet. And they struggle with this day. So if you're here today and Mother's Day is a bitter day for you, we want you to know we're aware of you. We're praying for you. Every Sunday before we dig into the word of God, we pray God will speak to us through the word of God. But today, I want to pray more than that God will speak to us. If you're here today and Mother's Day is a bitter day, a hard day for you, I want to pray that God comforts you. So would you just bow your heads with me quickly before we dig into our Bible study time? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just kind of take a deep breath and try for the next 25 minutes to allow God to have the attention of your heart and your mind? And if this is a hard Mother's Day for you, would you just tell God from your heart to heaven, would you just ask God to comfort you today on this hard Mother's Day for whatever reason it may be difficult? And would you pray that as we read scripture today, that God would speak to your heart? And show you if you have any bitterness in your heart, life, past, emotional bank that's causing you to be held back spiritually. God, that's our prayer. Comfort our hearts today. Teach us how to move from bitterness to blessing. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. Ruth chapter one is where we're gonna start, verses one through five, but then we'll kind of come back to the book of Ruth. So keep your Bible open on your lap if you have it. It says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah 
not Oprah, Orpah, and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Let me set the scene real quick for where we are in case you don't know the whole history of the book of Ruth. Let me, let me try to push you ahead in the story so that you can learn today from the life of Naomi. Here's the first thing that happened. A famine in Bethlehem drove a family to a foreign country in order to survive. It was in the times of the judges that this happened. The good thing for us is we have ancient maps of Israel in the times of the judges. So when we look at the ancient map of Israel divided into kind of 12 city-states, not one nation. We can see Bethlehem here, just seven miles south of Jerusalem. This is where Naomi and her family lived. There was a famine in this part of the land. So they just kind of scooted to the other side of the Dead Sea, and they lived in Moab for about a decade. I want you to see that in your mind. I call number two this decade a decade of distress. I think it's fair to call it a decade of distress when we hear her story. Over a decade of distress, Naomi survived physically on bread. She went some places she could survive, but she died spiritually from bitterness. At least that was her story. When she came back home after a decade, she said, hey, like my body's still alive because there was food, but my spirit is dead because of bitterness. She would say, number three, she left Bethlehem full, but would return empty and in need of help. I want to challenge you. Maybe read the book of Ruth today. It's only four chapters. It'll take you probably less than 15 minutes to read. Um, If you're watching the Royals game today, just mute the commercials between innings and you will have read the book before the fifth inning. Uh, If you're watching your favorite television show, mute the commercials and just read from commercial to commercial. You will read it before you watch one show. It's a really short book. It will help you understand a little bit more today what I'm trying to teach, but I'm going to look at two key stages in Naomi's journey that help us learn how to move from bitterness to blessing, or maybe they help us teach someone in our life, our brothers and sisters, our kids, our husband and wife, our mom and dad, someone we work with, maybe they will help us teach someone how to move from bitterness to blessing. What are the two stages? Number one, stage one, a root of bitterness begins to grow. We look at Naomi's life, her world, her crisis, and we see this root of bitterness that begins to grow after 10 years After the death of her husband and then the death of her two sons, the only three men whose job it would be to provide for her until she left planet Earth. After those 10 years with one daughter-in-law saying, hey, I think I'm going to stay home and go back with my family. And one daughter-in-law returning with her, she makes her way back to Bethlehem. And as she walks into the town, the people look at her and say, wow, Naomi's back. And she said, no, no, she's not. Look at verse 19 if you have your Bibles. It says, so the two women, that's Naomi and Ruth, who the book is named after, went on until they came back to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. If you have a pen, I want you to underline that word. If you're following along on a digital device, I want you to highlight it. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I've titled our Bible study today, The Names of Naomi, because she said she wanted her name to change. She went away, known as Naomi. 10 years later, she came back and they said, Naomi's back. And she said, nope, I don't want to be known by that name anymore because I'm not that person anymore. I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore. I want you to call me Mara now. I want to change my name. I don't want to be known as Naomi. I want to be known as Mara. She gave herself, 
maybe the saddest nickname that anyone has. She gave herself maybe the worst nickname anyone could have. Now, if your name is Mara, I apologize. Maybe it doesn't mean the same thing in English that it does in Hebrew. But Naomi said, I don't want to be called Naomi. I want to be called Mara. And the word Mara in Hebrew means bitter. She said, I want everyone to know. I need everyone to know. I want to make everyone aware that I went away one way, but I came back very, very bitter. And if you want to know who I am, I am bitter. I want to change my name. And I want you to know that I am bitter. I'll give this to her. She was really honest. She didn't cover up what was going on inside. You know, so often we have bitterness growing in, in our hearts, in our lives, in our emotions. We put a smile on our face. We put a smile on our Facebook. We give the world one opinion of ourselves, but on the inside, we're just, we've got a mess that is just spreading like wildfire. It's messing everything up. Naomi said, I want you to know, I need you to know I'm, I'm bitter. And maybe that is the first key element of today's message that you need to hear, that it's okay if you have bitterness growing on the inside of you to tell someone on the outside of you, I am struggling with bitterness. I don't want to cover up with a smile anymore. I don't, I don't want to be known as Naomi. I'm not who I always used to be. I am a very bitter, hurting person right now. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. You know, the road to bitterness doesn't have to be a long one. It can happen in a conversation. I think it could probably happen over text message. It can happen over a slight. I think it can happen over a, over a non-conversation. It can happen over a disagreement. It can happen in marriage, it can happen in parenting, it can, ha- it can happen in friendships, it can happen in, in employments. The road to bitterness doesn't have to be a long one for the seed to be thrown into our heart and the root to begin to grow. As a matter of fact, geographically, it wasn't a long road at all. As we look back at Naomi's world, she lived in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem to Moab, just at the two closest points, less than 25 miles from Bethlehem to Moab. Her road to bitterness was not very long at all. And you might say, Christian, how could it be a total drought in Bethlehem, but really fruitful in Moab if they're only 25, 30 miles apart? Great question. There's a huge mountain ridge that runs along the east side of the Jordan Valley that in times of drought, the storms would build over the Mediterranean and they would sweep quickly over without dropping rain over this part of Israel. And then they would hit that mountain range and they would just soak the Eastern plains, which would become some of the most fertile parts of the Middle East. And it's interesting because for Naomi, you kind of see this happen. Her road to bitterness was not very long, but the mountain of bitterness was huge. And in our lives, sometimes bitterness is a very short distance between one point and another, but a very big mountain between one person and another person, or one perspective and another perspective. You say, Christian, what can make us bitter? What, does, what doesn't make us bitter? Somebody else got the promotion that you deserved? That can make you bitter. I, I think I'm, I'm learning secondary bitterness. Um, somebody else's kid got the spot on the team that your kid deserved? got the spot in the band that your kid deserved, got the spot in the batting order that your kid deserved, that can make you bitter. Your parents, just looking from a distance, have always favored one of your siblings. And it used to hurt your feelings, but now it's, it's grown into bitterness. Your dad has never treated your mom well. Used to worry you, now you've grown bitter. Your spouse hasn't fulfilled their wedding vows. Used to make you sad, then mad, now bitter or they broke them outright. Nobody in your family realizes or appreciates how hard you're working. You'll get a card today and tomorrow they'll forget everything you do, mom and grandma. 
God hasn't given you good health even though you've eaten well and taken care of yourself, that can make you bitter. When God takes the life of a close family member or friend, that certainly has a train stop at bitterness. When your friends abandon you or you have a friendship that you have one expectation of the friendship and someone else has a different expectation and when those drift far enough apart, pain becomes bitterness. Or your kids were in a group of friends through middle school that in high school kind of drifted and now a whole pack of families is still living in community and you're kind of on the outside. That, that can cause you to be bitter. I mean, I could go on, right? I don't need to. We, like, I think we get it. There are things that hurt us. And instead of developing a callus, it plants a seed and a root of bitterness begins to grow. Short distance, but a big mountain. Naomi, she had really good reasons to be bitter, right? I mean, a drought forced her from her homeland to a place and a land with a people whose language she wouldn't have even known. But at least she had her family until her husband died. And then at least she had her boys until her boys died. And then at least she had her daughters-in-law until one of them said, I'm, I'm going home. I mean, if anyone had reason to say, call me Mara, it was Naomi. She had really good reason. This week on the podcast, because it's Mother's Day, instead of you know Pastor Brandon and I talking about um, Naomi, two of the ladies on our staff, my wife Danielle and our, and our children's director, Stephanie Ward, sat down and they talked about mothering and they talked about motherhood and they talked about women and friendships and they just talked about the reality of how bitterness is a very real part of life that you have to watch for and you have to move on from. If you don't normally listen to the podcast, ladies especially, I want to encourage you this week, listen to our podcast and hear how you can overcome bitterness that might be sitting in your life. Because Naomi was not just bitter, she was defiant in bitterness. Now, in order for you to understand what I mean by not just bitter, she wasn't just depressed and bitter. She was defiant and bitter. You have to understand two things and one story. Here's the two things you need to understand. First, the root of bitterness is spiritual in nature. So when I say Naomi was defiant in bitterness, she came home and said twice, I am bitter and it's God's fault. That's where the root of bitterness always lies. Regardless of how someone else hasn't met your expectation, it usually drifts back to God did something wrong. The only way you can hold on to bitterness long-term is to let go of God. Bitterness at its core is a spiritual problem. Naomi came home and said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm bitter and it's God's fault. She said it twice. But what we also need to realize is the cure for bitterness is spiritual in nature as well. So our problem has a solution. The root of bitterness is spiritual in nature, but the cure for bitterness is spiritual in nature. And this is why I say that Naomi is so defiant because she was telling half of the greatest story in the history of Israel. See, Israel and Mara, those two words go together like peanut butter and jelly. Like everyone in Israel 3,000 years ago would have understood Israel and Mara because those were a part of the greatest story ever told in Israel. Remember the history of Israel. The people of Israel were slaves for 400 years in a country in North Africa called Egypt. God raised up a deliverer named Moses to set him free. He brought 10 plagues upon the people of Egypt. So Pharaoh would say, go on, get out of here. And nearly 2 million Israelites left the country of Egypt. They camped on the edge of the Red Sea. They thought they were going to die as Pharaoh changed his mind and had his army pursue him. But God opened the midst of the Red Sea so they could walk through perhaps the second greatest miracle in all of scripture outside of the resurrection, those people walking through. Often we hear that, but we never visualize it. How many of you were at the Kansas City Royals World Championship Parade or even saw pictures of it? Anyone there? That was 800,000 people. 
Israel would have been closer to 1.6 million, twice as many people, and then give everyone a goat and a, and a donkey. Like, right, like, imagine the number of people. I couldn't find my car, much less my way across the Red Sea with my kids and all my belongings. Picture the mass of people moving at the same time. They get to the far shore and here comes Pharaoh after him and the sea closes and everyone dies and they're like, hurrah, we're like, we're, we're free forever. One of the greatest miracles in the history of scripture. And then they go three days in the wilderness without water and they think we're gonna die now. And they come upon a massive pool of water and they think, oh, now we're saved. And they get down on their knees and they begin to drink and the water's bitter. Can't drink it, it's bitter. So they name it Mara. They'd come to the waters of Mara, it was bitter. And they went to Moses and they said, Moses, the water's bitter. Let's just go back to Egypt. After the greatest supernatural act of God up till that time in the history of the world, the people said, because we've grown bitter, we want to go back home. And Moses says, no, we can't go back home. So he tells God, the people want to go back home. What do I do? And God says, take a log and throw it in the water. Moses had to be thinking, are you kidding me? There's 2 million people worried about, you want me to, you want me to like skip rocks? You want me to throw sticks in the water? And God said, take a log, throw it in the water. He takes a log, he throws it in the water and the bitter water becomes drinkable. People drink up enough to get energy to travel to the next spot on the journey. It's called Elam. It was a place with 70 palm trees and fresh springs of living water. And then they settled down and camped and began to have life there. But they had to get through bitterness first. Now, those of us looking at it from our perspective clearly see the cross in the picture of the log being thrown into the bitterness. You say, why a log? God is foreshadowing years later that bitter hearts will be able to be changed when you add the cross of Calvary to a bitter heart. If you add the cross of Jesus to anything, the most bitter water can become living water and you can move on to find rest in who Jesus is. That clearly is the picture Jesus is giving and everyone in Israel knew that story. Elam was the end, not Mara. Until Naomi, who comes and says, I'm staying at Mara. She puts her stake in the ground and says, I'm staying at Mara. I know there's fresh water springs ahead. I know that if I'll keep pursuing God, there's shade ahead. But man, my life has been so hard. I'm setting up shop at Mara. I'm staying here. I'm bitter. And I want everyone to know it. She was defiant in her bitterness. I'm going to stay at Mara. I know it's the halfway point, but for me, it's the finish line. I'm not just going to sit on the shore. I'm not just going to have a tent. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build a garden, and I'm going to live at this place called bitterness. She was defiant in her bitterness. And here's what you and I need to understand from this story. Mara is a place that we all visit like you cannot go through life in a broken world without bitterness. Mars is a place we all visit, but it can't become a state where we remain. You're going to experience bitterness when a loved one dies. You're going to experience bitterness when you get passed over. You're going to experience bitterness when people talk behind your back. You're going to experience bitterness when a friend group leaves you. You are going to experience bitterness that when your health diagnosis is bad. Every one of us is going to come tomorrow. The choice is, will we throw the cross of Jesus in and let Jesus handle that problem so we can go on to living water? Or will we, like Naomi, say, I'm just going to stay here? Or maybe you're just stuck there. All of us will have bitter experiences in our life. Let's not stay there. Let's address the mess by seeing the Messiah. 
Let's let Jesus and the cross be poured into our bitterness so it changes the nature of the water. Jesus is as clear in Naomi's story as the cross is in the Exodus story, not in a piece of wood, but in a person. We see number one, a root of bitterness was growing in Naomi, but number two, as we read through the book, a redeemer is coming. A root of bitterness was growing. It had grown into not just a tree, but like a whole forest, but a redeemer who was offering blessing. He's he comes into this story. If we were to fast forward through these four chapters, Naomi and Ruth get home. Ruth goes to work in the field of a wealthy, distant relative of her husband who had died. She thought maybe he will take care of us. She began to gather after his harvesters a little bit that she could glean from his crops. And he asked, who is she? What's she doing here? And they said, that's Ruth. She came home with Naomi who wants us to call her Mara. And when he found out what she was doing to support her mother-in-law, they kind of struck up a friendship. He said, let's take care of her. Let's give her extra. They would meet before work and after work. They have conversations about things that were going on in their life. And then eventually Naomi said, you know, because this guy's related to us by law, he could rescue us. By law, he could step in. He was single. He was a wealthy, older, godly businessman. And Naomi said to Ruth, maybe, maybe God sent him into our life to rescue us. So she said, one night, I want you to wait till everyone's gone and I want you to go ask if he will rescue us. Basically propose to him in marriage. Ask him if he would come alongside us where all the men in our life have died. Ask if he would step in and if, and if he would lead and rescue us. And, and she did. And he said, I'd love to, but I, I, have, I have to figure out a few things legally first. I have to get permission. So he went to the elders of the city. They met at the city gate. There were a few loopholes that they kind of had to walk through and work through, but they ended up saying, yeah, you can, you can marry her. You can take care of this family. He came back and said, we can get married. They got married. They had a child. And as that child is bouncing on grandma's knee, Naomi, Mara, the ladies of the town who saw her go, who saw her come back now say, you are blessed because of what God has done for you. Look at Ruth chapter four, verse 14. The ladies who had called her Naomi, the ladies who had been told to call her bitter, now say this about her. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. You might underline those two words, guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. You know, I have people say, Christian, isn't the book of Ruth about Ruth? Shouldn't you be talking about Ruth and not Naomi? The book of Ruth is about Ruth. Some people say, isn't the book of Ruth about Boaz? Shouldn't you be talking about Boaz instead of Naomi? Some people say, clearly the book of Ruth is about Naomi. It starts with her and ends with her. So Christian, which one is the book about? It's about all of them. But ultimately, the book of Ruth is about Jesus. And it's about you. Ultimately, the reason this is included in this book we call the Bible, ultimately, the book of Ruth is about Jesus. And it's about you. And it's about what can happen when a redeemer is allowed to have access to a bitter part of our soul. Boaz became for Naomi and Ruth what was called a guardian redeemer. It's a legal term. Maybe you've heard it said kinsman redeemer. It's a legal term for one who has an obligation to rescue a relative in serious difficulty. Here's the short story of a guardian redeemer. If I married someone in Israel several years ago and then I died, she left her father to come be with me and left all protection of her dad and her brothers, came and married me and we didn't have a son. 
and I had an older brother, a younger brother who wasn't married and I died, they would marry her, they would have a child and the first child would be my child, not his child, so that my name, my legacy could live on and my family could continue to take care of the people who were closest to me. That's the thought of guardian, guardian redeemer. If, if, you know, if you know someone who's had parents die young, they have a guardian who's over them. They take care of them for a while. Boaz stepped in and he said, I'm related to your husband and I am willing to become your guardian redeemer. I'm willing to step into your story of death. I'm willing to step into your story of bitterness. I'm willing to step into your story of hopelessness. I'm willing to take you on as mine. I'm willing to give my life for your husband's. And the first child we have can be named after your husband because the son we have will be even more important than the marriage that we share in the history of Israel. God said the same thing. God said, I'm willing to come alongside your death. I'm willing to come alongside your bitterness. I'm willing to come alongside your hurt because the son I want to give you will outshine the bitterness that you've experienced up to this point in your life. But you have to bring your bitterness to me. So the question is, will you do that? Naomi did. And she moved from bitter to blessed, all because a redeemer showed up to rescue her. She moved from bitter to blessed, the most blessed in Israel, all because a redeemer showed up to rescue her. That is the story of Jesus in your life. We kind of introduced this series, addressed the mess two weeks ago. Pastor Ryan was preaching and and he talked about footholds in your life. There's a verse in the New Testament that said, all Satan wants in your life. He, He doesn't want all of your life. He would love to just have a foothold so that he can hang around in your life and mess everything up. And we said, if we can realize what those footholds are, Pastor Ryan actually had kind of a, a hand grip from a climbing wall. He said, if we can learn what those footholds are that Satan has in our life that allows him to hang around and we could get rid of those, the little things in life that Satan wants to become big things could all go away. We could address our mess because footholds allow people to take more ground than they should. Danielle and I, a couple weeks ago, watched a movie that reminded me about that. It's actually a documentary called Free Solo. Maybe you have seen or heard of this documentary. It's a eight-year kind of journey told over two years of a really famous mountain climber named Alex Honnold, who had a goal over eight years to climb um, free solo, no ropes, no hooks, no help, um, El Capitan, uh, which is in Yellowstone National Park. It is the largest cliff face, freestanding cliff face in the world, 3,000 feet straight up. And for eight years, he had wanted to climb this without any help, just him at the bottom, with his shoes and socks up to the top. And this documentary kind of tracked his attempt to do that. In the fall of 2017, he tried. He got about 600 feet up uh, with a film crew and he thought, I can't do it. And he came down because there was one little spot on the face of the cliff where he could not get a good foothold and he was, just, he was just afraid that he would fall and he would die. So he backed out and just said, nope, I can't do it. In the summer of 2018, he went back with a little wire brush and he spent six months with a wire brush on this one face of the wall just trying to figure out how to chisel out a little foothold because he said, if I can get a foothold there, I know I can climb the rest of the mountain. And sure enough, last summer, he took off up the mountain with his film crew in tow. Here you can see him in several states of climbing the mountain. Go to the next picture if you would. Here he is, no ropes, no hooks, no handouts, only a film crew hanging off the side of the mountain with him 
who was recording either his success or his death. Those, I mean, those were the only two options when he got up there. They, they were his best friends. They've been traveling with him for eight years. So just to watch their tour more as you go, like after it was over, like I had a stomach ache um, because like I was so tense from watching this the entire time. But, but he made it. He made it all the way up. Spoiler alert, um, he didn't die. So you, you, can, you, can, you can watch it without, without seeing tragedy at, um, at the end. But I thought about his story and I thought about his mountain as I thought about footholds in our life. And here's what God, I feel like, revealed to my heart as I prepared for this message. He said, Christian, bitterness is not a foothold. Bitterness is a mountain. Bitterness is not a little part of our life that Satan wants to have. Bitterness is something that will fill up our entire heart until our eyes go dark and we don't trust and we don't love and we don't have hope and we don't have joy, bitterness and the root of bitterness will destroy everything. It's not a foothold, it's a mountain. You say, Christian, if that's true, what's the answer? Jesus said we can move mountains. See, bitterness isn't a foothold, it's a mountain, but Jesus said we can move mountains. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 17 this, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, maybe of bitterness, move from here to there. It'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, maybe you've not loved your family the way that God created you to because a mountain of bitterness is in the way. Move it. Maybe you've not reengaged in your marriage since the last hurt or heartache because a mountain of bitterness is in the way. Move it. Maybe you've not reengaged at work or given your all since the last kind of being overlooked happened. Move that mountain. Say, maybe I've not been able to trust God or hope in God since I lost a loved one. You can move that mountain. And bitterness is a mess that must be addressed and can be addressed. It can be cured. How? Well, number one, the cross that Jesus died on. Anytime you throw the cross into any lake of bitterness, it makes bitter water sweet water. Anytime you add the cross to bitterness, bitter water becomes living water. That's number two. The cure for bitterness is the cross that leads to the living water of Jesus in your life. But James, the little brother of Jesus, said fresh water and salt water cannot flow from the same spring. So you have one or the other. You have bitterness or you have living water. You don't have both. You can't have both. Your heart cannot produce bitter water and living water at the exact same time. So the cross may be needed to flush the bitter water so you can have the living water because that number three will result in a spiritual rest that Jesus offers. And wrongs may not be righted, but bitterness can be made gone. And I believe number four, that is a spiritual example worth setting. I came across a verse several months ago that as soon as I read it in my quiet time, I I have a tab in my phone with all of our future series and with all of our future big days. I've got things written down for Christmas this year and Easter next year. And any, anytime I, I see a verse or have a thought that I think that's for that, I'll write it down. And months ago, I was in the book of Psalms studying and I read a verse and I thought, that's for Mother's Day. Because David, who was the king of Israel, was writing in his journal, his prayers to God. And in Psalm 86, 8, 16, he, he said this as he prayed. He said, God, turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. And I stopped and thought, wait a minute. 
There's nothing in the Bible about David's mom. You read about his dad, you read about his brothers, you read about where he was from. There's nothing in the Bible about David's mom. But this line that tells us he spiritually was just like his mom. So maybe she was a giant killer. Maybe she had a huge faith. Maybe she prayed and played instruments and wrote psalms and songs. Maybe his mom was a woman who, who had a heart who was after the very heart of God. All we know about her is David said, I serve God like she did. Hey, moms and grandmas, dads, grandpas, big brother, big sister, boss, teacher, coach. One day, someone's going to serve God like you do. One day, someone's going to deal with bitterness the way that you have. And they're going to say, God, I was able to say to this mountain of bitterness, move. Because I saw my dad do it. And bitter was replaced by living. God, I saw my mom do it. And bitter was replaced by living. God, I saw my brother-in-law or sister-in-law when my sibling died. I saw them do it. And bitter was replaced by living. God, I know how to deal with bitterness because I saw it done before my very eyes. I believe addressing the mess of bitterness is an example worth setting. The question is, if you have a root of bitterness in your heart, will, will you do some gardening today, this week, this moment to remove it? Throw the cross in, flush the bitter out, pour the living in, rest spiritually, set that example for someone else. We pray with me this morning, Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and God, I pray that right now you would reveal the root of bitterness that might live within the hearts of those who are here or those who are watching online. God, let us be as bold and as honest as Naomi to admit that bitterness has been planted in our heart and it's ruining everything. And then God, through the cross, make the bitter bearable. Allow us to move beyond bitterness to the living water and spiritual rest of a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and bitterness has become a seed that took root and it's become a mountain. Ask God to heal your heart today. Be willing to let the cross splash down in your bitterness so that you might experience life and blessing on the other side of Mara. God, move us from Mara to Elam, from bitter to blessed. Help us address the mess of bitterness that might be living in our soul so we might experience the blessing of the cross, the living water of Jesus, the spiritual rest of relational trust with you. God, move us from Mara to Elam. Allow us to experience our promised land in a restful relationship with Jesus. That's our prayer. We pray you'll help us with that today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Pastor.